Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. That's Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. The passage can be found in the Pew Bibles on page 871. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Wes will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, God feeds them. Oh, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Let's pray. O Lord, we thank you that you have promised to bless your word. And so, uh, bless not only the reading, but also the proclamation of your word. Uh, May Jesus Christ be lifted up, that uh, we might feast upon him by faith and um, be rooted and grounded in his great and precious promises. We ask through his name, amen. All right, well, this morning's sermon is about God's antidote for anxiety. Not asking for a show of hands, but does anybody here actually struggle with anxiety and worry? <laughs> uh, um, truth be told, there are probably many of us who worry all the time over the fact that we worry too much. Such is the uh, the uh, struggle that we have with worry and anxiety. I've got a, a bit of a worry this morning. Uh, I'm only scratching the surface of this passage this morning. I feel like I'm only introducing it. And I keep thinking, I want to move faster through, through uh, the Gospel of Luke. We're nearing a hundred sermons. And, uh, and we're about, what, a little over halfway finished and so I'm thinking we've got to press forward and it seems like I'm going slower and slower I will say this uh, 
you know, in, in God's people, I think, need to hear the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking into their life. In fact, our world needs the Lord Jesus Christ speaking into their life. And so I am glad in God's providence that we are in the Gospel of Luke, hearing our Lord Jesus, hearing our Creator, our King, our Redeemer, speaking into our heart, into our lives. And um, I think that is important, even though I wish we could go a little faster through the book. Um, God's antidote for anxiety. Anxiety affects everyone. No one escapes. We live in a worrisome world. Before we get started looking uh, in earnest at our passage, I want to give you a couple of encouragements because uh, worry is such a struggle. Uh, The first thing I want to say is that God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows all your anxious thoughts. He knows all your troubles. He knows all your what-ifs and what could-have-beens. He knows that all of us experience anxiety. And most importantly, he gives us many instructions, encouragements, and promises that are meant to help you uh, in your struggles with anxiety. And our passage this morning is only one of many passages in the Scripture that speak directly to how God helps us in our anxiety. It's an important passage. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 runs through my mind um, as well. A, a, A great and important passage for learning how uh, God helps you in your anxiety. So, did you know that God created you with the, with the capacity to experience anxiety? And that anxiety is not always a sin. Just like God gave us 3,000 um, nerve receptors in each finger, in order that uh, we could be warned if something's hot or something's sharp, God has also given us the ability to know that something's wrong, to be unsettled when something in our world or in our heart needs to change. So anxiety or worry, even fear, can be a warning to us that we need to do something or that we need to change something in our life. For those of you who have, had parent, who have had children that goes through high school, or we've generally most of us have gone through high school, you know, a, a little anxiety helps us study a little bit harder uh, for the test. When I played football, the butterflies uh, in my stomach, I couldn't eat. The only, you know, they would serve us a steak meal before the game. I couldn't eat it. All I could eat was just a little bit of a candy bar because my my gut was so wrenched with with uh, anxiety. But it helped me play better. It helped me be ready to play. 
And so, um, you know, I mentioned this several months ago, and I said that anxiety is like the, the red light flashing on the dashboard of your car, um, letting you know there's probably trouble uh, in your world or trouble in your heart. In fact, if you never experience uh, some intense concern or some anxiety from time to time, you are likely ignoring some type of trouble in your life. But this morning, we're going to consider anxiety and worry that has grown, that has grown well beyond uh, a warning light. Uh, we're going to look at what Jesus says to us when anxiety takes control of a person's life. In our previous passage, uh, verses 13 through 21, Jesus told the parable of the rich fool, teaching that one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Remember that from verse 15? But Jesus' 12 disciples were on the opposite side of that parable. Uh, They had no possessions. They had given up everything, and they had left everyone behind in order to follow Jesus. They were his inner circle Uh, For nearly three years, they followed him from town to town, learning from him and uh, assisting him in his ministry. And so they were not concerned about bigger houses. They were not concerned about more money in their pocketbooks. They wondered if they would have three uh, three square meals a day. They wondered if they would have clothes on their back. And so, in verses 22 through 23, Jesus said, and it specifically says to his disciples, Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Before I jump into this passage... Uh, I want to go on a little rabbit trail uh, for a couple of minutes. Uh, This passage gives us a command not to be anxious. But Jesus goes on to give us this fuller discourse in verses 22 through 34, where he invites us to think along with him. Uh, He uses the word consider several times in this passage. So he wants us to consider what he's saying. He wants us to reason within ourselves. And the little rabbit trail I want to go on is that we no longer live in a thinking society. And I've been on the verge of going on this little rabbit trail for the past six months. And this this morning seemed like the right time. You know, we live in a feelings-based society. Everything is driven by the feelings. Worry and anxiety, therefore, dredge up feelings of unease and apprehension. And the temptation, then, is to address the feelings with a feelings-based sermon. Or um, to want to have uh, your feelings assuaged or uh, soothed over when it comes to worry and anxiety. But Jesus here is telling us to think, to consider, to reason. 
It's not wrong to have feelings. But when the feelings swallow up our reasoning and our thinking, then uh, we've got a problem. What are we to think about? Well, we're to think about God. God is the only antidote to anxiety. Knowing Him, knowing how to be reconciled to Him, knowing how He cares for His children, knowing how His grace operates in our day-to-day life, knowing His priorities for our lives, knowing His promises, knowing what He has prepared for those who love Him. Knowing these things is the only way to cure ongoing worry in one's soul. A feel-good story and some pop psychology will not provide a true remedy for anxiety. And so that officially ends the little rabbit trail. So as I've said already, um, Jesus commands us not to be anxious in verse 22. It's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation for how to experience peace in our soul. But he is commanding us not to be anxious. Why is he doing this? Well, Jesus says that our life is more than food and the body more than clothing. In other words, food and clothing are not ends in themselves. We do not live only to eat food. We do not live only to wear clothes. Now, I know some of the the men in this congregation love their barbecue, and they love fixing barbecue. One unnamed man in our congregation writes poetry to the barbecue that while it's on the grill, while it's slow cooking in a smoker, then posts pictures on Facebook as it, as it proceeds through the cooking process. And all the other men in the congregation see the pictures and our mouths water. And ladies, dare I mention how some of you love, and I mean love, to shop for clothing. Shopping is probably not the right word for it. Uh, A stronger word maybe is needed. Some of you plan and stalk and pursue new clothes. Men, life is more than what you eat. Ladies, your body is more than what you wear. Peek down at verse 31. Jesus said, Instead, instead of what? Instead of pursuing your next meal, instead of being consumed with what you're going to wear. He says, instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Your life and your body belong to the Lord Jesus. Your plans and your priorities belong to the Lord Jesus Your family belongs to the Lord Jesus. Your checkbook belongs to the Lord Jesus. Your meals and your closets belong to the Lord Jesus. You know, we call food and clothing necessities of life, and surely they are. But these things only extend our life. These things only allow us to do what God has called us to do. Food and clothing do not define our identity. Although many people throughout history and in just about every culture think it does. 
I have an admission to make. I make it proudly. I enjoy Downton Abbey, uh, the uh, series on PBS. I also enjoy The Crown on Netflix that traces um, the Queen's uh, life uh, episode by episode. My favorite series, however, was Victoria on PBS, if you haven't seen that one. So I'm, I'm secure enough in my masculinity to admit that. These, these shows gave me an, an education in the British class system. In order to dis- display their identity in the class system, the aristocrats have a whole ritual for the meals that they eat. And proper dress is very important. You know, and a big misstep in either one of these areas might lead to one's downfall in proper society. It's really astonishing that an entire culture is attached to such, um, to, or attaches such meaning and security to things that are so meaningless. But it's not limited to the British class system. Don't we all know people within our circle of friends or relatives who are living for such empty, foolish things? Look at what Jesus says in verse 30. He says, For all the nations seek after these things. Seek after what things? Food and clothing. All the nations, in Jesus' day, in our day, in all societies in between, and before, and after. When I was in Uganda, uh, people were dressed in tatters and living in mud huts. But many people I met were much happier and carefree than in our own culture. Of course, I was ministering in the churches generally, meeting many Christians who were satisfied with life because they loved their God and were satisfied in Him. They found their identity in the Lord Jesus rather than what they were wearing or where they were living or what they were eating. Food and clothing are easy targets. Think of some of the other things that we live for as an end in itself. Health and athleticism are the end-all, be-all for many people. Well, I'm 53 right now, and I thought I was a fairly good athlete, in fairly good condition, no matter how hard you work in the gym. Uh, your, Your reflexes will slow down. Your knees will begin to ache. If you are living for your health, it is going to deteriorate. It's going to go down. We all slow down with age. Other people live for vacation destinations. No matter how idyllic, um, vacations are short-lived And our perfect little escape has to return to reality. Just like food and drink are not to be avoided, being in good health or enjoying a nice vacation is not off limits. 
but don't give the best of your time or your highest uh, spending priority to such things. There are many things that are much more important and are of eternally lasting value than a lot of the stuff we give ourselves to and worry about each day. Listen to verses 30 and 31 again. And I want you to hear, especially at the end of each of those verses, how the emphasis is on God giving to his children. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. That's a promise. Your Father knows what you need, and he has promised to give you those necessities. So don't worry about those necessities. Seek first. Make your priority his kingdom. And in Matthew's gospel, it says his kingdom and his righteousness. Put those as your priority. The underlying argument that Jesus is making is that God will abundantly provide for his children. It may not be in the way we'd like. It might not be according to our timing. We may not even understand what he is doing at any given time. But he will provide, and it will be glorious. Look at verse 24 and then verse 28 in our passage. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Or verse 28, But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the fields today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? We're going to look at these passages more next week, Lord willing. But here's the point. God loves you, and he will bless you. Donald Gray Barnhouse once said, Our great matters are little to God's infinite power, and our little matters are great to his fatherly love. And our total welfare is the constant concern of God's loving heart. God's not too busy to look after your needs, to lead you along paths of righteousness, along paths of blessing. He doesn't forget you to help someone else. He doesn't turn away from you to turn to someone else. He's committed to us. How committed is he to blessing us with everything we need for life and for godliness? Well, he gave his only beloved son to go to that awful cross. God is infinitely holy. I am a sinner, unworthy of his love, and yet he loved me and sent his son to die on the cross in my place. 
what does that mean? Well, let me see if I can do a little, use a little illustration to, to underscore what God has done for us in giving us the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's say that I am a better person than any other human being that has ever lived except Jesus. That I only sin one time a day. Mandy says, oh, were it so. <laughs> and so I die one day. Let's say I die at 53. That's how old I'm right now. And I stand before God on the day of judgment, and I confidently plead my case. God, you should let me into heaven. I, had, I sinned only one time a day while I lived here on earth. That's a lot better than everybody else. And so God adds up uh, 365 sins a year times 53 years. Anybody good at math? 19,345 sins. So I'm standing before God. God, look at how great and wonderful, how good a person I am. I only have 19,345 offenses against your holiness. You see how crazy that is to say, well, I'm a good person. I've done some good things. God's going to let me into heaven. You know, not only would I have those 19,345 sins, I would have Adam's sin, which is charged against all our accounts before we're even born. You know, there's no way any of us deserves to be in heaven. There's no way any of us deserves to be loved by God. Am I really good when compared to God? No, I'm not. But compared to other human beings, I'd be superb. But other people are not the standard. The standard is God's righteousness, His holiness. We must be as holy as God is in order to get into His heaven, in order to stand in His presence. And that's why our Lord Jesus went to the cross. I can't explain how this happened. I can give you some theo theological parameters on what, what happened when Jesus was on the cross. But while he was nailed to that cross, while his blood was pouring from his hands, his feet, and his head, his blood was covering over our sins. His blood was paying for our offenses towards God. Every one of them, completely paid. It was no small thing for God to send his son to, to the cross for sinners like us. He who knew no sin, the Bible says, became sin for us. God treated him as if he had, uh, like he should have treated us. And he did that, that we might be the righteousness of God. Why did he do it? Is it because of any, any of you were better than someone else in the world? Is it because I was better? No. We are all sinners, unworthy of God's love. Romans 5, 8 through 10. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God? Continuing on to verse 10 in Romans 5. For if while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? He loved us. He paid for our sins even before we lifted one finger to help him. In fact, he loved us and purchased our salvation while we were, while we were hating him as his enemies. If he loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. Paul argues in Romans 8, How will he not also freely bless us? So, if God so freely and generously blesses us, such that we don't need to worry about what we're going to eat or what we're going to be clo- how we're going to be clothed. Why do we have so many worries? Why do we struggle with anxiety if God is so is lovingly supplying our needs? We worry about things, people, or circumstances that we can't control. That's why we we worry. Um, dominating worry and and anxiety are not because God's stingy, not because he's refusing to give us what we need. Rather, it is because our heart wants these things so badly, whether it is health for our children or a bank account that will be uh, able to pay all the bills by the end of the month. Or whether it be, you know, many good things, sometimes not good things. But our hearts uh, yearn to, to have these things done, but we're not in control of them. Something could happen. We may not be able to pay the bill. Some other bill may come up. We may be injured. We, who knows? So many things could happen. And our heart because our heart wants that security or whatever it is so badly, that is what drives the worry. It's not a lack on God's part in giving us what we need. And so Jesus is calling us to trust God when we cannot know our future, nor when we can, um, we're to trust, we are to trust Jesus when we cannot change our past. Jesus is calling us to remember how much God loves us when we feel that we lack something that we really want. Jesus is calling us to let go of the reins of the things that, we, that are vying for our attention but have little eternal value. Our Lord Jesus is calling us to follow him and to seek after the heavenly treasures that he has promised us. And those treasures will last for eternity. This is only the first part on worry. There's a lot more needs to be said. But look to your desires. Examine your heart. Find out or begin to try and find out why am I worrying? What is driving my worry? How can I look to Jesus and trust him through it? And we'll move through this process in the next couple of weeks. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus.
I do pray for all of us here this morning, for all of your people, because we struggle with worry. Lord, we, 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 we would pray like David, uh, test us and know our wicked way, see or, or know our anxious thoughts, see where we have wickedness in our life. Lord, help us to flee to the Lord Jesus and uh, trust in him in those areas that, um, that are causing us anxiety. We ask through his name, amen.